Well, let's get started with it. Whenever I'm learning something new, I usually feel right at the beginning a little bit confused um, until I wrap my head. I've said this to you before, but I, until I wrap my head around the big picture, if I can get the big picture, if I can get the core idea of what's going on, whatever the subject is, then I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Like as a software developer many years ago, uh, before I could write my very first line of code, I had to understand what the objective was. I had to understand the core idea, and then I was good after that. I could use so many sports illustrations here, but the one that comes to my mind is racquetball. Uh, anybody ever play racquetball? If you don't understand, and you'll know what I'm talking about if you do play <laughs> racquetball, if you don't understand the core idea or the core concept of racquetball, you will run yourself ragged. You will run yourself to pure exhaustion and you won't win. But when you get that you're in a box, basically, and you're hitting a rubber ball, it's coming back to you. I mean, you don't have to run around and chase it. It's coming back. The sooner you get the core idea, the core concept of racquetball, the better you become at racquetball and the better chance you have of winning. The same is true with academics. If you're studying political science and you hear terms like fascism or, or a, a socialism or communism or democracy, you probably feel a little bit nervous the first time you're in that class. And the instructor, until the instructor says, you know, and he boils it down, if you will, he takes each complicated uh, uh, governing process and he breaks it down to just that core idea. And when he does that, it's like, oh, I get that. I get it. Now today... Before you walk out of this place, it's my goal that you'll understand the core idea of Christianity. The core idea of Christianity. For some of you, this is going to be a review, but that's okay. It's good. It's good to review. And for some of you, this may clarify some things. The haze might, might, might fade a bit, and you'll see the, the core idea. Uh, 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 with a little new sharpness and, and maybe some definition. And, and for everyone else, this is gonna hit you like a bolt of lightning if you've never heard Christianity boiled down to its very core in terms that you can understand it. And for you today, for those of you, today might just change everything in your life and for eternity to get us headed in this, in this, on this direction here, probably everyone here, probably no matter how old you are, believe it or not, uh, you've heard of the name Charles Manson. Charles Manson? Uh, Helter Skelter. Um, 1971, Manson was convicted of first degree murder of two people. And then he was conspiracy, had conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of seven other people. He would get these people together and he was like the cult leader and he, they would follow him and they would follow whatever he said to do. And if they said to kill people, if he said to kill people, they would kill him. It was a cult. But they did this in California. And in California, 
There's no death penalty in California. Uh, so he was put in prison with, get this, several opportunities for parole. He lived in prison as a leader in prison. He had access to drugs and to alcohol and to, believe it or not, cell phones until they found them. And then he would, find, he would get another one and they'd find it. He'd have three square meals a day in shelter. And he pretty much did whatever he wanted to do to whomever he wanted to do it to while he was there. And this horrifying guy lived to the age of 83. In fact, he died just this past, past year. And people were outraged when this all happened for years. Why? Why were they outraged about this guy went to prison? The reason why is because it seems like, it just seems like he didn't have to make the appropriate payment for his crimes. It just seems like that. And there's something about society today. It can't put a crime behind it until there's been an appropriate payment made. This appropriate payment concept idea that I, I want you to hang on to it for a minute. In fact, I want to call it something different. It's called atonement. Atonement. Because it's the same concept, essentially. Atonement, listen to me at what it is. It's satisfying the demands of justice when a crime has been committed. Atonement, guys, is the first half of the core idea of Christianity. Atonement is satisfying the demands of justice when a crime has been committed. That's the first half. The second half of the core idea of Christianity comes out of another word that we hear a lot about. Uh, and we're familiar with this word. It's called substitution. A substitute. We use it a lot in our culture. Um, it's the guy who comes in for Stefan Curry whenever he gets hurt. That's the substitute. I was... In a, not in a, but I was at a wedding in Atlanta um, a couple weeks ago with Crystal, and we only knew the bride and groom. And uh, we sat at the reception table and they had the names out for everybody. And uh, you know how it is if you don't know anybody, you're going around meeting everybody, and how, you know. Uh, what do you do, and what's your name, and all those kinds of things. And I bet I sat with this guy that was next to me, he and his wife, for an hour and a half, two hours. And we got to, you know, what do you do, and all those kinds of things. And um, he said something along the lines of, and it came up something like, I'm in Florida for three months. I'm thinking, that's a young guy. And I'm thinking, um, okay. I mean, what do you do? And he goes, well, we were just training. And I said, what are you training for? And he goes, well, we're, I'm a professional athlete. athlete. This guy's 6'7", and I ask him what, he's, what he plays. <laughs> and so uh, he says, well, I play for the Golden State Warriors. Is that right? Golden State Warriors. And um, he said, um, I, I immediately said something to him, like, man, I'm sorry. I've been sitting here talking to you like forever. I had no clue. I'm sorry. And he goes, no, I appreciate that. 
Um, I, I'm glad you didn't uh, know. But substitute, he was the sub, he stood in for Stephon Curry during a, uh, that's me, I think, um, during uh, the playoffs when he was hurt and did a great job. Substitute, we all get that. Uh, we understand what substitute is. Gosh, remember what we used to do to our substitute teachers. Lauren. I still carry a little guilt about that. Now, I want you to put these two words together and what we come up with is the core idea of Christianity and it's called substitutionary atonement. And all it is is taking the two words and putting them together and you say this is somebody taking the place of someone else, substitute, and satisfying the demands of justice when a crime has been committed. Today, the title of my message is A Substitute That Changes Lives. A Substitute That Changes Lives. I want to get right into this and clarify this concept a little bit more. I'm going to walk through the Bible. I'm going to walk through the entire Bible here today. Um, and I'm going to show you how this pertains to Christianity and to your life, uh, starting with the book of Genesis. Um, shortly after God created Adam and Eve, he says to them, I, I breathe life into you. Uh, you, you can, now you can make decisions. You can you know, uh, make the decisions in life. You're smart. And, and I love you, and I just, I'm, it's going to be awesome. Uh, uh, we get to commune together, and it's going to be just a wonderful experience. But I am a holy God. I, I am a just God. And if you start sinning and violating my laws, well, let me tell you, this wonderful gift that I just breathed into you is going to come to a screeching halt, and you're going to die. He made it very clear. But as you know, Eve jacked it up. <laughs> I expect a little more from the guys. No, Adam and Eve, they, they bought into this lie from the, from the devil and flagrantly disobeyed God, as everyone knows. So now, here's the thing. This has never happened before in all of history, right? This is the first time. And, and so now all of creation is holding its breath, wondering, what's God going to do? What's he going to do? Will he strike them dead on the spot for their rebellion? Or maybe this whole death warning thing is just a hoax. It's like the parents, one, two, two and a half, you know? And, and God's going to wink and say, just kidding, you know, apple eating, that's not a capital offense. I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, it's not deserving of, of capital punishment. Boys are going to be boys, you know, girls are going to be girls, and there's no problem. But do you remember what God does? He doesn't just, you know, strike, he doesn't strike them dead on the spot, but he doesn't weak and walk away either, does he? The first thing he explains right away, he says, the whole universe, we sang about it here today, has been tainted by sin now because of what you've done. Human labor now goes into effect. Um, um, childbearing is gonna be painful, ladies. Uh, human relationships will be complicated due to our egos. 
and, 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 and human bodies will grow old and die. And God explains that, listen to me, God explains that people who continue to live in patterns of rebellion and, and, and disobeying and re- resistiveness of him will pay. They will pay. They'll atone for their crimes against God in this life and in the eternal life in hell. Sin is a serious situation. It's a serious thing. But listen to me. At the end of God's explanation of the consequences of sin, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that God does something that must have been shocking to Adam and Eve. Be- they're trembling right now in, in shame and in guilt for what they had just done. And the text says that, listen to me very closely here, God covered, God covered their shame and nakedness, get this, with an animal skin. How many know what they covered themselves with? Say it, you all can know it. Fig leaves. God covers them with animal skin. And most people just read right over that. That's no big deal. What's the big deal? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. In fact, I think it's our first glimpse, listen to me very closely, of the arrangement that God is designing to provide sinners like you and I with an alternative way to have their sins atoned for. Picture again God's God's dilemma here. He's the absolute holy and righteous God. He cannot allow sin to go unatoned for. It's got to be paid for. And at the same time, he's a a tender, loving God whose heart has been uh, captured by these two, Adam and Eve, and then, of course, all of us who have followed. And, And the thought of Adam and Eve atoning for their own sins for the rest of their lives and for eternity in hell just breaks the heart of God. And it moves him to take upon himself, listen to me, the responsibility for providing an alternative way. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me get that out. But also, thank you for the alternative way. That sin can be legitimately paid for without the sinner having to spend eternity atoning for their own sin. And also, and this is the, the dilemma he was in, and also without God's holiness being compromised. So look at what God does. He takes an animal, listen to me very closely, an innocent, an innocent animal, and he kills it. Can you imagine Adam and Eve gasping in horror, seeing death for the very first time? As they see, as they hear the, the animal scream from the, the, the knife plunge and, and, and the awkwardness of the movements of death and moaning and wrenching and quivering and finally stillness. And then God takes, listen, guys, stay with me, okay? God takes the skin of this animal and he covers the shame and the guilt and the nakedness of Adam and Eve as if to say, In order for your sinfulness, in order for the things that you've jacked up, in order for the things that you've done wrong to be covered, in order for your wrongdoings to be atoned for, an innocent party will have to bear the penalty that has rightfully and was rightfully yours. 
And folks, I'm going to tell you something. This was kind of a sneak preview uh, at the beginning of the idea that I'm trying to get across to you of that substitutionary atonement. That's the beginning of it right there. An arrangement by God for an innocent party to stand in the place of the sinner and absorb the penalty due to that sinner and thereby satisfying the demands of justice and the guilty party goes free. Doesn't seem right. Later on in the book of Exodus, we read where God's people <clears throat> the Egyptians are sinning against the Israelites and the Israelites are sinning against each other and against the Egyptians and the whole thing just turns into this colossal sinful mess. And this pushes God uh, in his patience to the breaking point. And scripture shows us and tells us that God is slow to anger, doesn't it? But if you push him long enough, his righteous wrath that Dustin spoke about in his messages kicks in and that's what happens in this situation. God says, enough is enough. God announces to all of the Israelites and to all of the Egyptians, and he says he's going to bring this, the judgment on everyone for their sin. He announces that the angel of death is going to hover over and be coming on a given night to take the life of every firstborn in every household in the land. No exceptions. And then all of a sudden, as, like, as if a P.S. P.S., God adds, I will offer, though, one option. I, 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 I will make one provision. If anyone's interested, I'll make one, one provision. Anyone Listen to me very closely. Here's the one provision. Anyone who goes and gets an unblemished, an innocent prize of the herd, male lamb, and you slaughter it and shed its blood and sprinkles the blood over the doorframe of the house, the angel of death that, that, that's appointed that night will honor the blood of the lamb and pass over that house. The eldest son in that house will not be killed. God says, that's my arrangement. You in? So he asks all of them, what's your decision? What's your decision? What are you gonna do on that given night? Well, as it happens, get this, most people, everybody say most Say the majority. The majority of the people, get this, ignore. They just ignore the whole thing. Does that sound familiar to you guys at all? They just ignore the whole thing. They thought, you know what? I don't think God, listen, I don't think God's uh, uh, gonna bring judgment like that. I mean, listen, I don't, God's not that, God loves me. God, God's not gonna, he's not that kind of God. I think we can just steamroll right over him and live kind of however we wanna live and he's not gonna lift a finger. But there were a few, everybody say few. There were a few people who decided otherwise 
And so they go out and they get this lamb. Can you imagine 15-year-old, the, the eldest son, watching his dad search around the herd, trying to find the best lamb, the best, the, 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 most, uh, the, the one that's the, the, the prized lamb. I mean, that, that awesome, that's the, the best one. And he lifts the knife and the son goes, Dad, what are you doing? That's, the, that's, the, that's our prize. He hasn't, what's that lamb ever done? And the father responds, well, son, he, he didn't do anything. He's, he's an innocent lamb. But you see, son, it's either the lamb or you. It's atonement time, son. Sin, sin's going to be paid for tonight. A holy God has had and said, enough is enough. It, it, it's the lamb or you. And we read that on the next day, every household that had offered the innocent lamb and sprinkled the blood on the door uh, frame was spared the judgment of God. The lamb died and the son went free. But I want to tell you something. The households that didn't offer the lamb paid <laughs> they paid with the life of the firstborn child. Sin, guys, is a serious thing. And when it's atonement time, sin gets paid for. We, we see this substitutionary atonement principle in this story, don't we, of Exodus? And you see later on, as it moves through the story in the Old Testament, you see the sacrificial system in Leviticus, and it's what they call a foreshadowing of the substitutionary atonement idea that I'm sharing with you. Whenever a person sinned grievously, an animal sacrifice would be made. An innocent, an innocent lamb would be slain. And then only after the death of that lamb would the priest give the guilty sinner the assurance that his or her sins uh, had been atoned for, and then that person could go free. We move just a little bit further on in the Old Testament and we get to the point where the prophet by the name of Isaiah announces something that makes people's heads spin. And now they begin to freak out a little bit. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, here's what it says. But he was wounded for your, our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our sins. And the Lord will lay on him the iniquity of us all. People didn't know how to handle that prophecy. They had no idea what was going on there. Because it sure seemed like, I mean, it was sounding like anyway, someday, somewhere, somehow, God was going to send a human sacrifice here to make an, listen to me, ultimate atonement, an ultimate atonement for the sins of this world. And the New Testament comes along, and we all know this one. Jesus is born, he grows up, and when he's about 30 years old, he gets ready to go into his ministry, kind of, and he goes out one day for the very first time, really, where another prophet is preaching. This guy's name is John the Baptist. And a large crowd of people is listening to John the Baptist speak. 
And Jesus stands kind of off, you know, by the side and on the fringe, and he's just looking in. And John the Baptist sees him, and he stops preaching. He stops immediately, and he looks over at Jesus, and he points at him, and he says, look at that. Look there. Behold. He says, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, here he is. He's the one that we've all been hearing about. He's the one that Isaiah prophesied about that was coming. He's God's ultimate provision for atonement. He's the unblemished prize lamb that will be offered as the ultimate substitute for sin. People strained. They're trying to understand this like many uh, probably seekers that are here today. You're thinking, can it be? How does this all fit together? If we, if we read on into scripture where Jesus starts referring to himself in, in these sacrificial terms, he, he'd give a great speech, a great talk. He'd preach and, 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 and people would applaud and, go, and really enjoy it. And then he'd add something. He'd go, but you've got to know something, guys. Not too long from now, I'm going to be sacrificed for your sins. And the people would go, no, 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 Jesus. And he would go on and speak more and he'd say, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And sure enough, after leading, everybody hear me now very closely, a sinless, a perfect, an innocent life. After an unblemished life, he was arrested and falsely accused and he was beaten and battered. And can you imagine the saints and the angels that are in heaven looking on in horror as Jesus was nailed to the cross just outside the city of Jerusalem? You think Adam and Eve cringed when they saw death for the very first time? You think that 15-year-old boy was, was a little nauseous whenever he saw his father kill that lamb in the backyard? Imagine what was going on in heaven as the innocent Jesus slowly bled to death. And in front, listen to me, in front of a group of gawkers, people, uh, uh, instead of bowing down to worship him for what he was doing, they were auctioning off his robe to the highest bidder. I can't even imagine when Jesus, the innocent lamb of God, finally cried out, it is finished. It is finished. I've made atonement for the sins of this world. Maybe for those in heaven, it didn't seem right. It just didn't seem like guilty sinners don't deserve a substitute like that. Like the one that God provided, they ought to, they ought to pay for their own sins. And you know what? We should. I should because I'm the one sinning. You should because you're the one sinning. We're the foul-ups. We're the, we're the ones that knows God's rules and break them. We're the ones that lie instead of telling the truth. We're the ones that hate instead of love. We're, we're the ones that will hold back instead of give to people in need. We're, we're the ones who put down instead of lift people up. We're the ones who ought to, to, to include everybody else, but we push people away. 
That's the kind of people that we are, and we should atone for those crimes. But this is the good part, guys. It doesn't even make sense. But the Bible says, and Dustin preached about it a few weeks ago, God so loved the world. He so loved the world. You know, as holy and righteous and just as God is, he has this thing about you. You matter to him. You, you, he knows your name. We, we sang about it. And whenever he thinks about you, his heart is moved with love. So the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that even though we ought to pay for our own sins, he came and stood in our place and paid the penalty that we should pay to make substitutionary atonement for our sins. Do you see the core idea of Christianity here? Jesus Christ taking your place and mine, satisfying the demands of justice so guilty parties like you and me can go free so that we can be forgiven and stand blameless before God so <laughs> on the merits of the Lamb of God who paid the price. Guys, every religion that I've ever heard of, I've never heard, they're all different core ideas. They're different ideas. Most of them are performance-based, and if you know, you just end up giving up because you don't meet the expectations, and we give up, and we just give up on eternity and, and all that, and Christianity is the only religion in the world whose core idea is based on substitutionary atonement, where guilty sinners go free on the merits, the provision that God has made for you and I. He's paid for the, the price on our behalf. It is amazing grace. It's an amazing idea. There's nothing else like it in this world. The Bible says that on that day, guys, on that day of judgment, as the worship team comes, I'm not quite yet ready yet, but please just come on up. The Bible says that on that day of judgment, if you can just get your minds, everybody, if you could just get your minds on that day of judgment, if you can go there with me, even if you have to close your eyes for a moment, on that day of judgment, you're going to stand before God, a holy, a holy and just God. And there will be no argument, guys, about whether or not you're a sinner. That, that won't be the argument. That's gonna be the shortest ruling in history. You're gonna know who the Holy One is. You're also gonna know who the sinner is immediately. And on that judgment day, listen to me very, very closely. Nothing, don't let anything else seep into your mind. Don't pay attention to anything else that's going on around you. On that judgment day, the question is not, who's the sinner? The question is, who makes the atonement? Because in God's economy, sin will be paid for. 
It's just a question of who pays the tab. The Bible says that between now, right now, right, right now as we're talking, between right now and that day of judgment, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to take the hit and do your own atoning for eternity in the devil's hell? It's your choice. Are you, are you, are you interested in the alternative? as we spoke about before. There's another option out there. <laughs> you know, there's a, a, he's made a, another way, an alternative way available to you. It's called substitutionary atonement. And that is Jesus Christ out of love. Saying, guys, I'll, I'll take that rap. I'll, I'll take the hit from you. the penalty for you and you as a guilty party on my merits can go free forgiven adopted into God's family blessed in love and taken to heaven forever but you know what it's your choice there's the alternative. It seems easy to me. My teen teachers last week, they stood up here and they faced their fears because Jesus Christ has changed their lives and their family because they understand that Jesus became their substitute and that he became their atonement. And they want to share that with their friends. <laughs> they want to share that. What kind of a friend are you that you wouldn't want to share that with somebody? They want to share it with their parents. They want to share it with their kids. They want to share it with you. They want to share it with their co-workers. Guys, I want to encourage you to share your story don't ever stop how God has changed your life that he stood in the gap for you that he willingly bled and died for you that he so loves you do you know that you can fully understand the core idea of Christianity and still wind up having to atone for your own sins in hell forever You see, because it's not just understanding it. It's not just hearing my words or his words. That's not enough. You have to. You have to with humility and with a repentant heart say, God, not, not only do I understand this, but I believe it with all my heart. And you know what? I even believe it with just a little bit. I need this. I want this in my life. I'm asking you, Jesus, that what you did be applied, be applied to my life, be applied to my sin, and place my trust solely in his substitutionary atonement for my hope of heaven.
The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as, many as received him. Listen to me for a second. You have to invite the substitute into your life as your savior. It says in Romans chapter 10, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. And I would like to do that right now. Shall we all stand together? As every head is bowed in this place, no one looking around, eyes closed. While they sing this song, I want you to take a moment to do exactly that, to call on Jesus here today. It says, whosoever, whosoever, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord.